It's 11.30 on this Tuesday, May 11th. Tyler Cavalli along with you here at KRVN. We're glad that uh, you can make midday a part of your day. Got a great lineup of uh, really guests coming in as well in terms of uh, some featured interviews. And, of course, we'll get updates from sports with Jason Jorgensen. We'll hear from Bob Brogan about how stocks are performing so far on this Tuesday. In about 15 minutes or so, Paul Perkins will step in and tell us what Mother Nature has planned for us as the week goes along. But as we always do, let's check in with our own Susan Littlefield, who's on the eastern side of the state. And uh, Susan, how are things out there? Is it cloudy? There we go. Let's try that again. Susan, uh, how's things out there? I got the wrong pot up. Oh, can you hear me now? We're good. You'd think I'd have this figured out by now as much as we do this. So, uh, oh, I know. It's cloudy and breezy out here. All right. Any any rain? No, not right now, but I know talking some moving into the forecast, which, you know, we'll take rain anytime we can get it right now. Okay. All right. Well, if it uh, comes, then that'll be nice. Otherwise, hopefully for warmer temperatures as the day goes along. Uh, what do you have, though, coming up for us on midday? Well, I tell you, out of all the things we're doing over this midday, I am super excited for 1217. I'll let Jason talk a little bit more about it, but uh, what a really cool free agent story that he's going to bring us at 1217. Then at 1245, we continue to cruise with renewable fuels. I talk with Brian Jennings. He is the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol and how this is ethanol's opportunity to shine, especially when we start talking all the things that are coming out of Washington, D.C. when it comes to health and, and different things to focus on bettering our environment. Hmm. Then at 117, Whitney talks with David Boxler. He talks about fly control of beef cattle from spring through fall, so very crucial for our cattle producers. Yeah, as you say, the beef, or the fly control, excuse me, uh, something people are going to be very interested uh, to hear because that's something they'll be uh, paying attention to in the next several months. It is definitely the buzz right now. <laughs> that's right, all right. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Thank you very much, Susan. <laughs> Thanks, talk to you in a bit. All right, uh, let's turn things over to uh, Jason Jorgensen. Uh, let's preview that 1219 featured interview just real quick. I think it's going to be a great story from what you and I were talking about. It's with Ryan Langan, a native of Cedar Rapids, Nebraska. Of course, he played at Riverside High School and ended up down at Georgia Southern and became a fantastic long snapper. And tomorrow, he begins his free agent tryout in Los Angeles with the Chargers. He tries to make that professional football team. So from six-man football yeah. in the rural Nebraska to the big city and the NFL. He's got a shot. That's wow. all you can ask. Uh, folks have kicked around the question, and I'm sure it's happened before, but we may have to dig into this. But how many guys who played six-man football right. went on then to play in the NFL, let alone get a tryout? At least the tryout part, yeah. Fascinating story. Look forward to it. Yep, so we'll uh, touch on that. Also, we'll talk some Husker baseball. And uh, I recently had a chance to talk to uh, Carney's own Heinrich Harburg and got his take on how uh, his first spring football practice went with the Huskers. Apparently pretty well. He's he's in the mix in the fall to potentially be the uh, backup to Adrian Martinez. All right, that would be uh, very nice. Uh, I think that baseball game is just wrapping up, by the way. <laughs> yeah. So, goodness, 13 innings. All right, let's turn things over to uh, Bob Brogan. How are stocks performing? Stocks are down a little bit as... Big tech stocks are continuing a two-day slide. Also, the Biden administration has announced that colleges and universities across the U.S. can now start tapping into some relief funding that Congress approved in March. And uh, remains to be seen how much that pipeline disruption is going to uh, affect Americans as far as gas prices. In Nebraska, our prices actually jumped nearly four cents just from yesterday. Yikes. All right. 
It is time for regional ag weather. It's 11.44 here at KRVN. And here at the studio, it is 53 degrees. Paul Perkins now joining us. And, well, Paul, thankfully, we're not out west right now, particularly the Cheyenne-Denver areas. Six, seven inches of snow in Cheyenne. Yeah, just hard to believe. Uh, luckily, the road conditions are in good shape as you go towards Cheyenne because I did take a look at the road cams there. A lot of snow on the sides of the roads, of mm. course, in the uh, grassy areas, but luckily the interstate is pretty much free and clear. But, yeah, seven inches of snow here in the middle of May. Now, here in Nebraska, we were talking frost in advisories uh, and warnings, I believe, in the northern regions last night. Yes, yeah, so we did get into the upper 20s to the low 30s from about Gordon and Valentine on into northeast Nebraska. Uh, many of us, as you headed farther south to the interstate, were closer to the upper 30s to the low 40s, so not as chilly as the previous morning, yesterday morning. Well, and unfortunately, there's another uh, chance for frost here in the central Nebraska region later tonight and tomorrow morning. Yeah, with some clearing skies, we're going to see some cooling for tonight. This area of low pressure that's been bringing those rain chances to western areas will gradually weaken and move to the south, and with that, we will see some clearing skies and some some areas are uh, getting down into the mid to upper 30s tonight, so don't be surprised in some low-lying areas, a little bit of freezing. But we are seeing a fair amount of sunshine, at least filtered sunshine, in much of northern and central and eastern areas of Nebraska from about Lexington and points to the south and west. We still have quite a bit of cloud cover, especially on into much of northern Kansas. Still some areas of light rain over western Kansas right now, mainly from about the Norton area down to around Colby and Scott City. Also some areas of rain as you head towards the far southwest Nebraska panhandle. And, of course, it does change over to more of a rain-snow mix as you head into southeast Wyoming. Right now, temperatures for the most part across the area in the low to mid-50s, but we are seeing some temperatures in the upper 50s from about the Aurora area on into eastern Nebraska and up to Albion where there is a little bit more sunshine. Also, temperatures in the upper 50s to low 60s across much of eastern Kansas, a lot of uh, west and central Kansas, though, with temperatures in the upper 40s to the low 50s. Nearly stationary low pressure over the Rockies, keeping those rain chances likely today as you head into southwest and western uh, southwest. Western Nebraska and Western Nebraska, also Northeast Colorado and all of Kansas. A little bit lower on the rain chances now in Central Nebraska and West Central Nebraska, thanks to this area of low pressure not approving, uh, providing a lot of moisture at this time. Any rain is going to be very light, and maybe as much as a half an inch of rain in Western Kansas, much lighter amounts elsewhere. So not looking at a big delay in any planning going on. Today's highs will continue to be about 10 degrees below average. Those rain chances diminishing for tonight through tomorrow as that low over the Rockies finally starts to weaken and drops to the south. We'll see some breaks in the clouds tonight, and that could provide enough cooling for some areas of frost to form, especially in northern and western areas of Nebraska. Tomorrow going to be slightly warmer than today with a mix of sun and clouds. Temperatures will be back to seasonal for Thursday through Saturday. Then we'll be slightly above average on our temperatures in the 70s for Sunday and Monday with a building ridge of high pressure. But we can't rule out the chance for some occasional thunderstorms Thursday through Monday with multiple disturbances tracking to the east. Some of those storms could go strong to severe, especially with the increased instability from the moisture starting to build in and the warmer temperatures. In a long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures are likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. for Sunday through May 24th. 
above normal rainfall predicted Sunday through May 24th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the central and U.S. So some ideal conditions for getting the uh, crops to start to develop and germinate. Soil temperatures at 7 this morning and 4 inches down, down to the low 40s in the northern third of Nebraska. For about the southern two-thirds of Nebraska and extreme western Kansas, the soil temperatures in the mid to upper 40s, low 50s for soil temperatures were found for much of Kansas. Key weather factors in the markets include concerns for a return of dryness in some key U.S. production areas and the ongoing damaging drought in Brazil. Rain and some wet snow across the central plains gradually coming to an end today. The rest of the U.S. will stay mostly dry the next few days, although rain may overspread parts of the plains and Midwest towards the end of the week. Cool conditions will linger for several more days in the plains and Midwest with frost and some freezing temperatures remaining a threat in some areas. Late in the week, warmer air returning across the plains and south. The dryness concerns remain prominent right now in the northern and northwestern Midwest, a large producing sector that received little to no precipitation from this past weekend's rain event. Most areas of the north and northwest Midwest will stay dry through at least Thursday, and below normal temperatures will continue to delay emergence and early crop growth. Rising temperatures towards the Midwest late this week and weekend helping to accelerate the germination and early growth. Continued rain in the Southern Plains is favorable for a soil moisture benefit for wheat and emerging corn and soybeans. Slow growth of the wheat should accelerate as the temperatures rise. In central Brazil, the continuing hot and dry weather is continuing to reduce those estimates for the prospects for their second crop corn. Yeah, I was talking to a friend uh, just recently today, and they were slowed out west in the panhandle near Bridgeport. Uh, they had about half an inch of rain in terms of planting, so they had to take today off. So exactly. Looking and, at tomorrow. And it continues to kind of lightly rain out that way right now. So, mm-hmm. All right, so we kind of have to make it through one more day tomorrow, and then we're back to regular scheduled programming, if you will, <laughs> in terms of weather on Thursday. Yeah, starting on Thursday, some seasonal temperatures. A little more sunshine, actually, in the forecast right now for much of central and eastern areas of Nebraska than earlier anticipated, so that will help for that planning today. Okay, very good. Uh, for more weather, where can you find that? Weather page, krvn.com. All right, thank you, Paul. In the blink of an eye, your graduate went from their first day in kindergarten to their last day of their senior year, and now you have a graduate. 93.1 The River is celebrating our grads and dads on the river with prizes to help your graduate sail into the future. Listen Tuesdays and Thursdays to win a $50 gift card from DeVries Furniture in Arapahoe or Bow and Arrow Boutique in Kearney in North Platte. Don't miss any of the fun as we celebrate our grads on 93.1 The River. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. Nebraska native Ryan Langan of Cedar Rapids is getting a chance to chase down his dream. He was signed as a free agent by the Los Angeles Chargers earlier this month, and he says things have moved quickly since the end of the draft. It's been pretty chaotic. Um, after the draft, you know, after getting drafted, I actually am out here now in Birmingham, Alabama, and I'm training with um, the current uh, Chargers punter, Ty Long. I'm um, just trying to build some chemistry with him. And so, yeah, it was a quick turnaround after. Um, and then this next week, on the 12th, I'll be heading out to L.A. for rookie minicamp. So. How would you end up with the Chargers? I'm sure you heard from some other teams. Really, just 
I talked with my agent. He called me and he's like, you know, if we get into free agency, you know, with how free agency works, you kind of get to choose who you want to go to. I talked with him and he talked with me early in the morning on day three of the draft. And we both kind of felt like that was the best opportunity if they gave me if they gave me the opportunity. And um, they gave it to me early. It was like in the fourth round when they called my agent said, you know, they were super interested and they'd really like me. Um, so my agent told them, you know, how we felt. And it's kind of, you know, solidified a lot sooner than um, like the, at the end of the draft, like most people are. Now, how does a kid from the middle of Nebraska end up at Georgia Southern to play college football? Like I tell everybody, you know, I found my niche um, in long snapping. You know, I knew I wasn't the quickest or the fastest or had the strongest arm or wasn't the biggest. Um, but I knew I could snap a ball. And so, you know, I started learning the, um, the art of long snapping, I guess you could say. And so I just trained and worked on it and went to a couple camps um, that kind of helped promote you. And um, eventually um, my, my head coach now, Coach Lunsford, was a special teams coordinator at Georgia Southern. And uh, he reached out to me and said, you know, we'd love to have you. You know, it's an open spot. Um, you could start as a true freshman. And I looked at my dad and I told him, I was like, man, this is a great opportunity. So let's take it. I see. You know, you've had more than 500 snaps without a miscue. What What do you think the the secret is to to being a long snapper? Just being consistent. Yeah, be consistent. You know, um, just setting up your punter and kicker. You know, for them to also perform well because you know you might not notice it, but anytime someone gives a bad snap, it kind of makes you know the kicker or the punter kind of fret a little bit, and um, it can you know mess up them. So as long as I can, you know stay true and snap perfect, you know, they should also be able to, you know, punt and kick perfect or have the opportunity to do that as well. Today we're talking with Nebraska native Ryan Langan, who's practicing this week with the Chargers. Ryan, was there a point where you realized in college that you were probably good enough at this, that the the NFL was certainly a possibility? Um, I really didn't get too far ahead of myself. Um, I stayed pretty humble throughout the entire process. Um, just because, you know, I was there at Georgia Southern and they were my main priority was, you know, to do well for them and to, you know, win football games there. Um, I think it more hit me when after the end of the season, you know, my senior season, I kind of knew I was like, okay, I have a good shot. You know, if I can do well at um, some camps and do well at pro day, I think I can set myself up, you know, to be somewhere um, come draft day. And um, so, yeah. I got to figure not many guys played six man football have, have played in the NFL. I mean, if you can accomplish this, uh, that'd be a big time goal, big time accomplishment. Yeah, me and um, a, a reporter earlier, like yesterday, he said the same thing. I said, yeah. I said, if I'm not the first, then I'm definitely in the less than one percent pile. So. <laughs> and that was Ryan Langan of Cedar Rapids. Played his high school football at Riverside. Of course, ended up going to Georgia Southern. Became an All American down there. Best of luck to him this week as he starts uh, his trek toward a potential NFL career. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jason Jorgensen. It's time for Midday Sports. Sports Director Jason Jorgensen joining us now here on this Tuesday. Well, Nebraska baseball, they finally were able to uh, get that came over with yesterday, a 13-inning affair. Much-needed win. They wrap up their road trip out east 3-1 and one as they beat the Rutgers uh, Scarlet Knights 7-6. And Tyler alluded to it. it. took a while, and head coach Will Bolt says they're starting to run out of options. Well, we were getting ready to have a curfew on the game. It was 3-15. Uh, it was the last inning. Couldn't start there. So, yeah, <laughs> we were running out of options there. The lineup card looked pretty bare. Uh, that's why we remind our guys it usually takes everybody to win, especially on the last day of a series. 
And you never know, a tie might have hurt Nebraska down the road. Yeah. So they were important to get that one, especially in a game in which they were up six to nothing at the end of the first. Yeah. Yeah. So they found a way. The clod passed Rutgers. They'll be back at home this weekend as they host Northwestern. That series starts on Friday night at 6.30. Russell Westbrook broke Oscar Robinson's 47-year-old NBA record for triple doubles, but then missed a potential game-winning three as the Wizards fell to the Hawks 125-124. Westbrook recorded his 182nd triple-double, the nine-time All-Star and 2017 MVP, had himself a night, 28 points, 13 rebounds, Oof. and 21 assists. 21 assists, good. That guy can uh, stuff a stat sheet. Does not win. I was going to say, what's he ever won? <laughs> Nothing. How <laughs> much? Individual awards, that's about it. Yeah, but uh, still, that's pretty impressive. It's a, it's a feat that, again, stood for 47 years. Congratulations. I've, I've seen some people kind of take some shots at him on Twitter because he is just a stat stuffer. Yeah, right. But still, uh, I... I would ask anyone who gets on Twitter and you know taking shots at Russell Westbrook, you go out there in an NBA game and Correct. try to do that. Yep, yep. <laughs> Easier said than done. Kentucky Derby winner Medina Spirit is headed to Baltimore for the Preakness Stakes, while trainer Bob Baffert says he won't attend to avoid being a distraction in the wake of uh, scrutiny following the Colts' failed post-race uh, infractions. It's probably a good idea by Mr. Baffert. So he thinks if he doesn't go, they're not going to talk about it? I don't know. He'll just he, drop it? If he's not there, he doesn't have to have a microphone yeah, shoved in his face asked about it. He can have his own uh, press conference. Yes, yes. State High School Boys Soccer Tournament is underway down in Omaha in Class A. Omaha South, one of the powers of the sport. They beat Millard West 3-1. to one. Grand Island is seeded 8th. They'll try to upset undefeated Lincoln Southwest later on today. And the Kansas City Royals will try to get off the schneid tonight <laughs> in Detroit. Hopefully the Tigers are a slump buster for the Royals who've dropped 8 in a row. You know, when that losing streak started, they had the best record in Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. They were up in the AL Central. They've dropped eight in a row. Now they're in third place in the AL Central, three and a half games back of Chicago. Now, we'll say this. Every major league team goes through these little bumps in the road. When they you, do. You lose seven, eight, ten games. You get that out of the way. It's only a matter of time till that happens. So maybe that's early in the season. I don't know. But they've done a good job against the bad teams. Right. Struggled against the good teams of the likes of Chicago and uh, Cleveland. We'll see. Detroit's not very good. Eight-game losing streak, right? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, sounds like my Rockies. (laughs) All right, thank you. A proposal to let people play Keno on their mobile phones in Nebraska bars and Keno parlors stalled abruptly after lawmakers stripped it out of a casino legalization bill. Lawmakers voted 27 to 11 to remove the provision from a broader bill that would regulate Nebraska's new casino industry. Voters legalized casinos in November despite opposition from prominent gambling opponents, including Governor Pete Ricketts. Voters didn't directly address Keno when they approved the constitutional amendment to allow casinos, but supporters argue that casinos will end up hurting the Keno industry which generates millions of dollars in tax revenue for Nebraska cities each year. Under current state law, Keno is still played with paper cards, while casinos offer flashier computerized games. 
A bill that would change the definition of consumer fireworks has been approved by Governor Pete Ricketts. LB 152 from Senator Julie Slama expands the sale of fireworks in Nebraska to any device that meets federal requirements and has been approved by either a nationally recognized testing facility or the state fire marshal. During recent debates, Senator Slama told lawmakers there was no evidence that states with fewer restrictions than Nebraska were less safe. Missouri only had one firework-related injury for every 14,609 residents, while Nebraska had one injury for every 11,564 residents. So that means that Nebraska actually has a higher um, incidence rate of injuries related to fireworks than Missouri. So overall, we don't see much of a statistically significant difference in the amount of injuries or claims filed. This means that previously banned fireworks like nighttime parachutes, firecrackers that contain more than 50 milligrams of explosive composition, and large aerial devices containing more than 130 milligrams of explosives will be allowed. The bill removes exceptions to consumer fireworks and allows the state fire marshal to test and deem fireworks unsafe in response to complaints. A descendant of Chief Standing Bear is asking for the return of the Chief's long-handled ceremonial pipe tomahawk, which found its way into the collection of the Peabody Museum of Archaeology at Harvard University, according to the Omaha World Herald. And the Nebraska legislature is joining the effort. So far, 20 senators have signed on to a resolution. The return is not a legal matter, but one of morality, according to Brett Chapman, a Tulsa, Oklahoma lawyer who is a descendant of Standing Bear. Chapman says the tomahawk belongs in a museum run by the Ponca tribe of Nebraska. Senator Tom Brewer of Gordon, who introduced the resolution and is a member of the Ogallala Sioux tribe, agreed that the relic and its connection to history would be better displayed in Nebraska, where Standing Bear lived and where Standing Bear's historic trial took place. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Now's the time for ethanol to shine. This cruising with renewable fuels, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Brian Jennings is Chief Executive Officer with the American Coalition for Ethanol. I asked him, in the current state we're in in Washington, D.C., does this mean the opportunity is there for ethanol to step up as a strong, renewable fuel? Well, I couldn't agree more with you, Susan. Um, ethanol is a, is a low-cost, um, low-carbon solution that is available right now to help uh, address some of the climate challenges that, the, that frankly, the world faces and if folks in Congress and the Biden administration are looking not to wait 10 or 15 years to make a difference for our environment, but to make a positive difference literally today and well into the future, uh, there needs to be you know, much more emphasis on the role ethanol um, and other renewable fuels can play. What are some ways that the American Coalition for Ethanol is getting that word out, not only in Washington, D.C., but to the consumers that are going to be fueling up at the pump? Well, in terms of Washington, D.C., we are engaged with members of Congress right now doing phone calls and Zoom meetings with them to help them understand that as legislation is developed that will tackle greenhouse gas emissions, um, 
electric vehicles might be kind of a trendy, popular topic right now. But for them to make a difference, we're talking 20, 30, 40 years from now. Um, and so if, if lawmakers really want to make a difference today, they need to make sure that that legislation, you know, increases opportunities for higher blends of ethanol to make um, their way into the market. You know, we similarly have had those discussions with USDA. Um, and we feel good, of course, about Secretary Vilsack's leadership there. And with EPA, in fact, as recently as yesterday, had another meeting, a Zoom meeting with some EPA officials about the low carbon benefits of, of ethanol and, and making sure that they uh, include ethanol as they're, as they're working on their policies. And then when it comes to consumers, you know, consumers absolutely care about the environment. They also absolutely care about their pocketbooks. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about ethanol blended fuel, whether it's E15 or E30 um, or E85, is not only is it is it doing a fantastic job of cleaning up the air, um, it's going to cost a lot less than straight gasoline. And so that's what we're promoting to to consumers, to motorists. It's exciting that a new study was uh, released, and I know that you just uh, sent out a news release just in the last week about this, about showing significant decreases in carbon intensity. And so you can say really the science is backing ethanol being a part of the climate solution. The, the, the science absolutely indicates that ethanol should be a gigantic part of the climate solution. You know, the, the Biden administration is really um, pridefully saying that science will dictate the decisions they make. And we hope that's true. And, and we've encouraged them and sent them the, the latest analysis from the Department of Energy that shows over the course of time from 2005 to 2019, um, the carbon footprint of corn ethanol, uh, fell, uh, considerably. And that's for a couple reasons. One, farmers are just doing a much better job each and every day of uh, being, you know, better stewards of the resources they have, more efficiently applying nitrogen fertilizers, which reduces some emissions, um, engaging in tillage practices that sequester more carbon in the soil. Uh, That significantly brings down the carbon intensity of corn ethanol. And then in the facilities, um, significant investments have been made by these plant owners all around the country to reduce energy use, to reduce electricity use, to recycle heat where possible. Um, and, and that's that's why the carbon footprint of corn ethanol has really fallen. What excites you about the future of the ethanol industry? Well, I think that what excites me about the future of the ethanol industry is our best days are yet to come. You know, we, I just mentioned farmers continue to get better and more efficient. Ethanol producers continue to get better and more efficient. We have a low cost fuel, which motivates consumers to buy our product. And we're only 10% of the fuel supply. So we have nowhere to go but up. You know, I envision a day when ethanol is 30, 40, maybe half of, half of or more of all of the liquid fuel that's used in the country is, is corn based ethanol. And, and I think we'll get to that point someday. What can consumers do besides educating themselves on E15 and above? Well, the top thing I'd encourage consumers to do is make sure they're filling up with a minimum of E15 every time uh, they, they go to the gas station. Nearly every single vehicle on the road today, 95% of all of the cars 
can safely use um, E15. Uh, if they want to do an even better job of helping the environment and saving some money, you know, they can look at blends like E30 uh, and E85. That's Brian Jennings with the American Coalition for Ethanol. I'm Susan Littlefield, cruising with renewable fuels on the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Bergen. Stocks are falling broadly, led by banks, big technology stocks, and a wide range of retailers. Inflation remains a growing concern among investors. It would be a major drag on the overall market if allowed to accelerate. The S&P 500 index fell 1%, and the technology-heavy Nasdaq was down four-tenths of a percent. Tech stocks, which get most of their valuation from profits they are expected to earn in the future, become less appealing if inflation erodes the value of those profits. U.S. employers posted a record number of available jobs in March, illustrating starkly the desperation of businesses seeking to find new workers as the economy expands. Yet total job gains increased only modestly, according to a Labor Department report. The figures come after the April jobs report last week that fell far short of economists' expectations, largely because companies appear unable to find the workers they need, even with the unemployment rate elevated at 6.1%. States are pushing the unemployed to return to work to help businesses large and small find the workers they need to emerge from the COVID-19 recession. Some argue the generous unemployment benefits offered when the economy crashed are making it too easy for people to not return to work. Now some states are reinstating a requirement that anyone who collects unemployment must look for work. At least four states, Arkansas, Mississippi, Montana, and South Carolina, are ending the $300 supplemental benefit that is on top of state benefits. America's commercial casinos matched their best quarter ever in the first three months of this year as customers continued returning amid the COVID-19 pandemic and Internet and sports betting money helped boost revenue numbers. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Rogan. On the last Rural Radio Forum. I tell you, the adrenaline rush when you get to go into a, a burning structure is unforgettable also. you got to make sure you, you're playing the weather and you're forecasting you know what the fire's truly wanting to do and where it's going to be at in six and eight hours and so you can try and plan that out and plus if you have you know some kind of structure protection needed um, that's got to be a forethought. We actually have a grain entrapment device that we can actually put into the grain to help save somebody who's entrapped. Dealing with property is one thing, dealing with people are another. And over time, those issues kind of work on you a little bit. Um, I often tell my folks, whenever you get to the point where it doesn't bother you, it's probably time to get out. Challenges facing rural volunteer fire departments. Listen to the podcast at krvm.com. Whitney Steckle joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Ranchers across the Midwest are preparing to turn cattle out on summer grass. With warm temperatures, hornfly season is getting ready to start. To learn more about how to prepare for fly management and cattle systems, we are visiting with David Boxler. Dave is an entomology extension educator for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, working from the West Central Research Station in North Platte. Dave, 
Explain the types of economical impacts that hornflies can have on a cow throughout the summer. Well, certainly the, the hornfly, as, uh, as numbers increase over the, the summer, uh, cattle become more irritated. Uh, you have um, possible decreased milk production in the mother cow, uh, reduced weight gain, certainly. Uh, it can change or alter the grazing patterns and also the, the behavior of the animal. And uh, an indirect effect uh, is the, uh, the calf weaning weight that can be affected uh, by uh, high populations of horn flies. And, and we have seen and, and recorded uh, many of such events uh, throughout Nebraska over the years. So what do you see in terms of life cycle and habits of these horn flies? Well, it's interesting you, you bring that question up because I was just out in the, in the pastures on Saturday and I did see horn flies uh, on cattle, so they are emerging across the state, uh, certainly starting in the eastern part of, of the state where it's a, a little bit warmer and progressively working westward. And um, what we've seen over the years here in the last, say, five or six, that uh, horn flies appear to be emerging earlier in the spring and also uh, staying uh, active longer in the fall because our, our fall weather has been uh, warming over the years and that allows the, the horn fly to um, uh, reproduce and continue its life cycle a little bit longer. So those are some of the issues that we're going to be faced with in the future as we see this progression of, of I'm going to say, weather pattern changing. Do you have a call to action per se when it comes to combating horn flies in cattle across Nebraska? Well, certainly as we progress through the summer, uh, we naturally see the horn fly populations increase starting in, in late August and certainly going through now September. And, and we can see some significant populations where horn flies will be averaging from 1,000 to 2,000 flies per animal. So the animals are really getting impacted. Your your rate of gain is being is you know is negative at that point, and the animals are in in a significant state of discomfort. So by all means, provide some form of fly control toward the end of the season. Now, uh, in many cases, insecticide ear tags, if, if you choose to go with that methodology normally last about 14 weeks uh, after application. So if you tag fairly early, they're going to start running out before we see those really significant numbers. So you may have to uh, add another form of treatment. But by all means, provide some relief uh, for your animals uh, as we progress toward the latter part of the season. Well, thank you for your time today, Dave. We sure appreciate it. Well, thank you. That is David Boxler, an entomology extension educator for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I am Whitney Steckel reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio. Good afternoon. As we take a look at what's been happening in the market trade, I'm Susan Littlefield here on the Rural Radio Network looking, of course, at the closing grain complex. John Payne joins us. He is a senior market analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Lots of positives on the screen for today, Joe. John? 
Well, it looks like we're having some technical issues once again. I apologize, folks. For some reason, things are not working with the phone systems here. So we're just going to take a long look at what's been happening on this market trade from a grain complex standard. Of course, as I mentioned earlier, we do see those those higher numbers that have continued to be seen within the market trade today. The WASI report is set to come out tomorrow. So that, of course, is going to be a continued focus on the factor as the WASI report influences traders and prices. Important to keep in mind the estimates are often far cry from how the new season actually turns out over the past 24 years, according to Todd Holtman with DTN. The R-squared cancellation correlation between USDA's ending stocks to use ratio and final average farm prices have been less than 20% in May. The last time we played this game, USDA said China would have 7.9 billion bushels of surplus corn at the end of 2021 and would be importer of 276 million bushels. That's a lot less than the 904 million bushels of corn China had committed to from just the U.S. in 2021. Even now, U.S. July corn is trading over that $11 per bushel on China's Dalian Exchange, and USDA is still trying to tell us that China has 7.7 billion bushels of surplus corn available. Now, soybeans, ever since the February WASDE report, USDA has estimated U.S. ending soybean stocks at 120 million bushels in 2021, also the lowest in seven years. And out of the analysts in the Dow Jones survey, 19 of the 20 expect USDA to stay within 10 million bushels of that same April estimate. Of course, we are going to get all of these numbers coming from the USDA tomorrow. So we're going to see some reactions in the morning, some reactions coming from the overnight trade as well. And for several months now, wheat traders have been focused on new crop wheat prospects for USDA's attention remaining fixed on the old crop season. The report will give us an early glimpse as to what USDA expects when it comes to this year's growing season. So how the markets finished out? We're looking at corn for July, 722 and a quarter, 10 and a half to the plus at the settlement. December, 611 and a quarter, up two soybeans for July, 16, 14 and three quarters, 27 and a quarter to the higher. November, 14, 31 and a half, up 17 and a quarter. Wheat numbers in July, 741 and three quarters, up 11 and a quarter. September, 739 and a half, up eight and a half. That's a look to the markets. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. All right, thank you very much, Susan. Appreciate it. For more Midday, if you missed the Midday segments or want to go back and listen to any of the interviews or segments, you can listen to the Midday podcast sponsored by Devaney Motors. That can be found under podcasts at krvn.com.